This is the Dive Bomb Squadcast, presented by Dive Bomb Industries. Hey everyone, Asher Tolliver back with another episode of the Dive Bomb Squadcast. Hope you all had a wonderful Christmas spent with friends and family. 2020 has been an unusual year, but we still have a lot to be thankful for. Today, I am joined by friend and owner of Cadillac Creek Outfitters operating out of West Texas in Northeast Arkansas, Mr. Toby Brolin. Toby, what's happening, man? What's going on, man? Thank you for uh, taking the time to have me on, man. I'm excited. Absolutely, man. Thank you for taking the time out of your very, very busy schedule to sit down and join us. I know you guys have been going hard and we appreciate it. Now, before we get too too far into this thing, I want to get started with your hunting background. I just want to I just want you to talk to us a little bit about how this passion got started for you. Yeah, so um, you know, I, I grew up in a hunting family where hunting was definitely a way of life. My grandfather, uh, I guess he was kind of where it all began. Unfortunately, I lost my granddad when I was like, I think I was seven, but, uh, the Berlin tradition was when you turned five, all the grand, all the grandsons got a shotgun or a rifle. All the granddaughters got a cedar chest. I think it was my sister was the only girl out of the whole family that, uh, chose a shotgun instead of a cedar chest. So that's kind of where it all (laughs) began. But, uh, lost my granddad when he was, I think I was seven years old. So I kind of missed out on a lot of the hunting with my granddad, but, uh, we did a lot of fishing and kind of the outdoors was just kind of, a our way of life, I guess, you know, and, uh, my dad was, he, he we loved to hunt, but he was a, a working man. So we didn't get a lot of opportunities. You know, it was, we were doing good if we went on, a dove hunt, you know, and went to some family land and went on a dove hunt or two every year. We were doing good. Mm-hmm. Uh, my cousin, Eric Guggenheim, which a lot of the waterfowl guys know him, uh, he grew up in the same area as me. And when we got older, we'd go and do a, do a couple of hunts on public land or whatever. But it really wasn't until later in life that I got into waterfowl hunting. Uh, my dad, I was, I, I was a musician and we'll, I'm sure get into that, but mm-hmm. that was kind of my, my life and my career path or so I thought that's all I dedicated my life to was music and, you know, hunting and sports and everything else was a, a secondary. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I moved off to Virginia with the band and, uh, decided I, it was time to come home in like 2007 and go to school uh, and my dad unexpectedly passed away in 2009. And, uh, instead of, you know, my whole life growing up, he'd always, he'd always joke about not wanting to be buried in this desert. You know, it was just all the, all the, uh, you'd get those phone calls when I was a kid trying to sell a uh, cemetery plots and stuff. And he, that was his line. He's like, I don't want to be buried in this damn desert. You know? <laughs> so instead of, instead of doing that, I, Thought, thought about it and I wanted to do something cool and Eric and I got together and we booked a hunt and took my dad's ashes to Canada and uh went up there on a goose hunt and uh at that time he was he was way more into the waterfowl thing than I was but it it was fitting you know so we went up there and I guess you could say that's kind of when the the spark was lit uh 
I'd done, I'd done my fair share of waterfowl hunting goose and duck, but I think that was really when it, it, it clicked, you know, it was just for multiple reasons. It was just a, one of those life changing hunts, uh, talking to birds. We ended up shooting a, shooting a band and, you know, it just kind of that, that spark was, was lit and, uh, moved back home. I'd been gone for several years, so I really didn't know anybody after high school. Everybody kind of goes on and does their own thing, but I ended up meeting a guy here that would look past my, my dreadlocks and rock star appearance, you know, (laughs) and give me a, give me an opportunity to go hunt with him, And uh, just kind of took me under his wing and I learned how to learn, you know, how to, how to make a hand and carrying decoys, setting spreads, learning to call and, one thing led to the other. I ended up kind of running some hunts for his guide service when it was around. And uh, just, man, I kind of took it from there. I, I knew that there was an opportunity uh, in the area. We have a, a, had plenty of birds. And I knew if I didn't jump on it, you know, full time, full speed, and take it to that next level, that it wouldn't be long before somebody did. And last thing I wanted is to grow up or watch my kids grow up not having a place to hunt uh so that's kind of where where it all started man man that's a great story can we just quickly can we backtrack to your music career can you tell us a little bit about that a little bit about your band and um basically what your role was were you a guitarist singer what tell us a little bit about that yeah, I uh, I started playing. I guess my, my parents bought me a guitar when I was six, I guess. Five, six, somewhere in there. I think it was six years old. Um, my, my dad, he was working construction uh, and was working in Austin. And I'll never forget, man, I go to the airport to pick up my dad. And I, he'd, been, he'd been gone for, gosh, months and months and months. And he comes home and he's got this guy from Austin with him. The dude had long hair. And this is the early 90s. And... I saw a guy carrying a guitar case and long hair, you know, and that was something, it was something that I hadn't witnessed, you know, it was, mm-hmm. it was not normal. And, uh, just, I wanted to be, I wanted to be that guy, you know? So next thing you know, I'm growing my hair out. Parents got me a guitar and me and this guy are now great friends. We actually hunt together and live right around the block from each other. But that it was just that, that thing as a kid, like I want to be him just because of the appearance alone, you know? And, uh, they bought me a guitar, got me in guitar lessons and, uh, anything that I've ever done, man, is just, I've, I've never been able to half-ass anything. So I just dedicated everything I had to, to music. And, um, uh, I had took lessons from several different teachers, uh, started a band, I guess when we started the band, I was 12, my bass player was nine and, uh, I mean, it was it was the cute little kid thing, but we, my bass player's uh, stepdad was also a musician and he would not let us, they wouldn't let us get out of the basement until we could play like a two hour set, you know? So it was dedication. You're not going to go out and start gigging without having enough material to, to really do it right. And so we practiced and worked up a two hour set and started playing bars when I was 12, you know, 13 years (laughs) old and, uh, one thing led to the other, man. We toured all over the country and, uh, went on a USO tour, played with, I don't know. I mean, we could go on with who we played for or with for, for days, but, 
I thought that that was going to be my life, man. I, I loved every second of it. And, uh, sometimes life just kind of takes you a different, uh, different path. I, my, my band, you know, we're, we're okay now, but we had a, had a bit of a nasty, uh, a nasty divorce, if you will. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, you're, you're young and, you know, you're traveling with four guys and it's just that, that road life is, is tough, man. And any, sure. any of my musician buddies, you know, or anybody that's had a taste of that living, living in a bus is not for everybody. Uh, but that's, that's what I thought I wanted and did it for a long time, got my fill on it. And here we are. I wouldn't, uh, I, I wouldn't trade it though. I, I still play every once in a while, you know, it's, it's tough during the season, but, uh, the off season I play at church just about every Sunday. And, uh, but as far as what I did, I was the, I was the front man. I played guitar and sang and, uh, shook my hair around and wore leather pants and the whole deal. <laughs> now, did y'all were, were y'all doing all of this out of Amarillo? Were y'all based out of Amarillo? Yeah, yes. And and then I moved to uh, I guess it was 2007. We okay. uh, relocated to Virginia Beach, and it was just kind of a central point on the East Coast. We could be in be in Florida in no time, or be in New York in no time. And it was okay. just kind of that central point. Uh, we were there, man. I want to say gosh maybe maybe a year and uh then some somewhere along long there i just kind of started thinking about life and maybe i should go and get a get a degree and go to school and so that that took me that brought me back to lubbock uh to get a a music degree which made a made a lot of sense (laughs) leave leave the road on leave the life on the road to go uh go get a, a piece of paper that says you know what you're doing but it made it made sense for for the young for the young me you know i imagine you learn more on the road than you ever could than in any classroom <laughs> ab- absolutely and the most real thing that ever happened to me at school was the first day uh, i was sitting in class and one of the professors said man i wish you guys were uh wish i could tell you you're going to school for a business degree or something like that so when you when you leave here you got a diploma and you're guaranteed a job or you got a good chance of getting a job. And he said, I've got two or three students in my history of teaching that are probably making more than minimum wage. Said one of them was working for NASA and the other two were, you know, they, they'd gone on and made, made something of themselves Mm -hmm. with music. But when I heard that, it's just like, you know, happiness is not, uh, is not a paycheck, you know, but it was very, it was very real. And, uh, you know, I, I still stuck it out and <laughs> did what it did what we did, but uh, it, uh, it it's pretty crazy though. What was the name of your band? Uh, it was a Penny for Lane was the the okay. latest band, and when we were young, we were called Frozen Illusion, and uh, we did a played a uh, private showcase for Epic and Atlantic Records. When I think at that point I was fifteen or sixteen, maybe maybe driving age, so around there, and uh, that was their one that was their one deal was we needed to change the name. And, uh, we did that. And then shortly after that, my bass player's parents decided that he was kind of, they, they thought that he was too young and, uh, not mature enough to go and play the, play the big time or, you know, and that that's assuming that we were going to hit it big, but we're playing private showcasing for these major, major labels at the time. And they got cold feet and, uh, it kind of gave us a gave us a setback, and uh, life happens, man. But I'm, I'm right. a firm believer that everything everything, happens, everything for happens for a reason. Absolutely, definitely. Well, that's a 
what would you consider the uh, y'all style of music? What would you call it? Uh, man, we we were all '90s kids, so uh, to me, I'd say kind of that blues rock. Um, okay. Think like Black Crows or, yep. uh, you know, that that style. Black Crows, Aerosmith, okay. you know, that kind of that kind of stuff. Gotcha. Now, this kind of, I guess, goes into you know what most would expect occurred during the the years of traveling around and playing music and i got a funny story with toby first time i ever talked to toby on the phone you know as you guys can tell he's pretty reserved not not a lot of up or up and down just kind of kind of rides in the middle pretty neutral guy and i came across a picture of him i was like that does not look like the guy that I talked to. Like, I don't know what really what I expected you to look like. You know, I didn't expect, you know, the tattoos and the earring. It, it was different. But, man, this guy just works for him. You know, it's not like it's – there's not a lot of effort there. It's just then once I met you, I was like, this fits Toby perfect. And it's absolutely effortless. Some people you can – it's like, nah, maybe you're doing too much or eh, maybe you're being somebody you're not. And then you meet Toby and you're like – I couldn't picture him any other way. He's the most just neutral across the board, kind, cool guy ever. So people are like, man, the guys at Cadillac Creek, man, they're, they've got a different style about them. So I've got to ask, when did, did that, that, that kind of passion start? You've got a lot of tattoos, you know, you got earrings, you've got a different style. Is that something that you've kind of always, that's just always come naturally to you? Is that something you kind of picked up on the road? You know, Nick Forrest, we'll talk to him and we're like, I couldn't picture you any other way. I was like, can you imagine if Toby walked out and just a pair of Levi's and a button up, you'd be like, hey bro, you need to go change. This <laughs> this ain't right, dude. Like I, I don't feel right you looking like this. It just fits you so well. We all were like, man, Toby has the most effortless drip of anybody I've ever met in my life. So you've got to... When did all yeah, that start? Has that always kind of been a part of you, your style? Would, like, you know, I think it would probably go back to like I was saying on that that time at the airport. You know, I'm sitting there and I see somebody that just was such an impact, uh, just looked looked different. You know, and and mm -hmm. I, I would say that it goes back all the way to that. And uh, Clinton, if you're listening, man, <laughs> that's uh, that, that's all you. But <laughs> no, man, I think uh, I think it would just go back to just musicians along the way you know all of them that well i mean all of them that i looked up to were you know i lived through the grunge days the long hair sure. the, you know the holy pants and then the before that you know the the glam rock the leather pants and stuff and you know i remember when when the band was going strong some of the guys we we all had different personalities but some of them were a little more reserved and it was always something that we had to kind of work through. And I, I'd tell them, look, man, when you walk into a bar it, or, you know, on the stage or whatever, if you walk in or walk on stage and you've got on regular street clothes and a, and a polo T-shirt or a polo shirt or whatever, you're you're not going to make an impression. Right. And so we'd always take it the extra mile, man. And uh dress dress out there you know and uh but it it worked man you know you people remember you for that first impression and uh well and it's I like become so much of like who you are now um yeah like i said I just, like i wouldn't i couldn't see you any other way like if i walked out on stage i'd be like 
get off the stage, nerd. Somebody like you goes up there, they're like, all right, this dude, he's about to rock our faces off. You know? <laughs> like, right. It, it just it gives them an expectation. But the tattoo thing, I uh, I started, I was in high school and I was working, I actually went to a tattoo shop to try to get them to, uh, we were designing, out, designing an album cover and uh, found out that they were needing some help behind the counter and I was in high school, needed a job. So it all worked out. I started, I started working at a tattoo shop. Okay. And, being uh being a musician you know tattoos and rock and roll go hand in hand right. and uh my parents knew that it was inevitable i was going to get one tattoo and they went ahead and gave me permission for that <laughs> and the next thing you know you start start wearing long sleeves all the time and you know it just <laughs> one thing one thing led to the other and and here we are but honestly dude i i am i'm i'm kind of a, a i'm an outgoing quiet person i it, it's it's odd but um, uh, I never, I never thought that I'd be covered in tattoos. You know, I really didn't. It just kind of, kind of happened. <laughs> you know, just kind of happened. All right. Now let's talk, let's talk about Cadillac Creek. The, the name and the logo, sure. it's, it's without a doubt, it's one of the coolest in the game. Um, I mean, I, I think everybody would, would agree with that for the most part. How did you come up with that name, Cadillac Creek? So Amarillo, we have two uh, we have two claim to fame. We've got the Palladar Canyon, and we have the Cadillac Ranch, which is I think there's ten Cadillacs buried ass up out in the middle of a a wheat field, hmm. and uh, it was a an art project. Um, this guy, his name is Stanley Marsh, and uh, won't get into won't get into him or his background, but he was. Uh, the, that that's kind of where it came from. I just I wanted something that would uh, pay homage to to Amarillo and around here, and there wasn't really much other than those two things. And just kind of started playing with the playing with the Cadillac idea, and uh, one thing led to the other. But awesome. now the, the the art project thing, Stanley Marsh was he was uh, one of those guys that always supported the the art scene, the music scene, the the outcast, the guys wearing leather jackets and, and mohawks, you know, it was just, right. he, he supported that. So it just, not that, not that he ever supported me or anything that I was doing, but, uh, it was just, it was a way to pay, uh, kind of a bit of tribute to Amarillo. Sure. Ran with it. What year was it that you guys established Cadillac Creek Outfitters? Oh man, I, I should have known you were going to ask this. I believe I've got I've got a book in here because, man, all it, it's not years, it's seasons. You know what I mean? Sure. Let me look. I think it was 2014 was our uh, our first year as Cadillac Creek. Give me one second, I can tell you. I dropped dropped the book that I was looking at. I believe it's 2000 uh, 2014. No. 2015 was the the first first okay. uh, first year. Yeah. Now, as we just talked about, anybody that's involved with social media, they'll see that you guys do things a little bit different. Not wrong, but sure. different compared to the status quo. Uh, you jam out while setting up decoy spreads, like we talked about. You have tattoos, you have earrings, right. you wear vibrant sunglasses while hunting. Some <laughs> folks think that you guys are bad for the sport. And after meeting and hanging out with all of you over the last couple of years, I couldn't disagree more. 
what do you have to say to the haters that don't like Cadillac Creek style? Man, it's I, I don't I can't hate on them or, or the tradition. You know, I, I wish I wish everybody would give me five minutes or listen to me or have a conversation and look past look past my my appearance or the way we do things. But man, I think we just have a good time. And um, just like any job, as soon as you let it become a job, it it gets old. And you know. Anybody that comes and hunts with us, me and the crew, we give each other more shit than than most people. <laughs> and uh, I think we just have a good time. And uh, some people don't like it just because of a just because of an appearance. And that's fine, you know. Do 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 you, and we'll do us, and we'll all go on our happy way. But uh, anybody that's come to hunt with us, they like I said, man, you've got to set yourself apart. You've got to be something different and whether it's you know flying a flag every day or playing music or you know just like you said wearing sunglasses you know how many how many hunts have we all been on where somebody's yelling at you because they think your sunglasses are flaring the birds right wrong but you know it's just and it's not like we're doing doing any of those things to stand out it's just we all have a personality and uh feel like social media wise it it was something that i struggled with was bringing the cadillac creek uh personality out i'm i'm a reserved person naturally so i just kind of would post pile pics and a few videos here and there and, and and it worked you know we were booking hunts but as soon as we really started growing and bringing on other guys and uh figured out that the whole team had something different something to offer a an attitude if you will mm-hmm. uh figuring out how to put that out there uh as soon as as soon as we did that man i mean it was like an, it was an explosion um we've been really blessed we've got a, a long client list but i think that's where it comes from it's just mm-hmm. people wanting to come and hang out with us the hunt is a the hunt is an extra you know right. and and i've said that so many times man you've everybody anybody can go out and have a good hunt, but it's, it's those days where the hunt is less than less than expectation and people still want to come back because they enjoyed your company, enjoyed the the small things. Uh, you're not always in control of the hunt, but the things that you are in control of are your attitude, the personality, the uh, you know, you can, I, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. <laughs> There's no need to rant. Yeah. But, I mean, you guys have set the, the outfitter world on fire. I mean, what you've done from a social media perspective is you've gotten yourselves out there. You've gotten your name out there and I get it. A lot of people don't like it. They don't like what dive bomb does and how active we are on social media and the things we do, but it's 2020, uh, almost 2021. And this is the world we live in now. Um, you can either keep pushing forward and try to stay ahead of the curve or you can fall behind and I'll be damned if we get stagnant and get left in the dust. So, you know, if I've said it once, I've said it a million times, and this doesn't apply only to waterfowl hunting, but life in general, we're all guilty of it. But if we would put the energy and effort into approving our own lives that we waste worrying about what other people are doing or how they're doing it, we'd be a lot better off. Sure. Sure. I mean, man, I mean, the, the hate, the hate is thick and, you know, I think we'd all be lying if 
you say that it doesn't uh it doesn't bother you you know naturally you want everybody to, sure. to love everything you do uh but it definitely it definitely comes with a price you know the yeah absolutely. The, more, the more eyes you have on you the more jealousy you have or you know you've, you're gonna have those guys that oh i'm not jealous of you but the, the guys that just hate what you're doing they hate the big groups they hate the big piles they think that you're doing something just to to prove yourself and and they couldn't be further from wrong but you know it's those same guys that uh are just they're watching you with a microscope and um you know it's just it's uncomfortable it's uncomfortable uncomfortable to feel like you just got somebody always right trying to trying to catch you slipping or just you know if you have a have a a rough day in the field, you know, blast you or, you know, whatever it may be. It's just, right. it, uh, it all comes with, it all comes with a price, you know? I think that was one of my biggest struggles early on with dive bomb. And I thought that I could please everybody or make yeah. uh, everybody like us when the reality is it's just absolutely a hundred percent not possible. If we can, have the majority of people like us in our style, you know, take care of our customers. Ultimately, at the end of the day, that's all we can do because there's going to be some people that it it absolutely does not matter what you do. They're just not going to like you. And I struggled sure. with that for a while, but um, oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I same here when I started, uh, when I started Cadillac Creek, I, I had a, uh, a business partner that was a, uh, he was a preacher. And I felt like it was so important to have somebody else to talk, you know, be the, be the face of the company because of the way I look, you know, and, uh, we, I mean, I can't, I can't say that it, it didn't, didn't work out. You know, we started, started a great business together, but I, the sooner that I stopped, stopped hiding from who I was, the better off I was. And, uh, you know, now it makes my day when I see, see other other waterfowl hunters you know kind of stepping out of the stepping out of the lines a little bit right. and you know being not getting so hung up on just wearing camo and having a beard you know and it, it's just it's crazy but you just kind of when you start looking you start noticing little things like that and you're like you know what that it's it's kind of cool to be on the not the front lines. I mean, I'm not the first person that's been a waterfowl hunter. That's different by any means, sure. but you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Just make a, make a wave and, and watch people ride it with you. You know, you go from having, uh, having hate mail and death threats for being just being different and ruining the sport to seeing Louis Vuitton shotguns all over the place and having gifts sent to you and just yeah. thumbs up and hell. Yes. You know, it's, right. it's been, it's been a wild ride. Absolutely. Now, can you tell us a little bit about um, the Arkansas operation and how that came to be? You know, because because everybody yeah. knows pretty much about the the West Texas deal and what you guys got going on Amarillo. Some people sure uh, may not know that much about Arkansas. Yeah, so uh, it all came about really quickly. Uh, I guess it was two seasons ago. Uh, Ray hit me up on on uh, Facebook and said, man, we really want to come out and, and hunt some cranes with you. Uh, we, we shoot specs in Arkansas. And, you know, everybody gets those messages, hey, you want to trade out a hunt and sure. blah, blah, blah. And normally you don't ever really know what you're getting into. But leading up to this, I had had my, my lung give out on me, so I was not able to fly. I 
years past, I've always liked to fly to Canada or fly somewhere, you know, and go do a big hunt every year. Sure. And I was not going to be able to because I couldn't get on an airplane with the whole lung thing. Uh, so I said, hell yeah, I'll, I'll, that's a, that's a quick and easy drive. We'll trade out a hunt. And, uh, so we went up there for early specs, me and Jake and chance. And, uh, it was one of those hunts that just didn't let you down. The boys did it right. And I've been around, I've been on spec hunts. I've been around spec hunters, you know, but the, the show that those guys put on was one of those unforgettable hunts. Uh, we made friends. They came down here and hunted with us a few times and went back and forth. And, uh, we went, I guess it was last year, we went up to Arkansas to hunt on that uh, the World Snow Goose deal. And one evening they're talking about the same thing that I started seeing, more and more people coming in and uh, the, the hunting around there getting to be more popular. And they started talking about starting, a, starting an outfit. And uh, one thing led to the other. We just It was just kind of small talk. And uh, they were talking about starting something and said, hell, why don't we just combine and uh i'll branch out to arkansas we'll take some of that three-year three-year uh growing pains i feel like it's kind of a three-year three-year deal you start sure. year one you you lose your ass year two you break even year three you start building up a client list and making some money and uh i felt like i could kind of take that out for them send them send them some of our overflow or just help them get on their feet and uh and that's kind of where it all started but those guys can more than hold their own. They're if not if not the best speckle belly hunters I've ever been around. They're damn sure on the list. Uh, incredible. They had they had such a such an amazing season last year. I think it was like a ninety nine point six percent success rate or something like something crazy. Uh, and they're they're chugging right along this year. Uh, couldn't be more happy to to have those guys going over there they're straight straight killers absolutely now we're going to take a quick break from talking about the hunting stuff and we've talked sure. a little bit about your musical background so we're just going to do a quick little um hot seat session are you ready <laughs> i hope so all right who's the best guitarist of all time oh my god dude these questions are always tough for musicians but um best guitarist of all time uh, dude, I'd say for me personally, probably Stevie Ray Vaughan. I'm a I'm a okay. blues nut. Uh, and I'll say this, like Steve I, there was a, a movie that I grew up with, Cross Crossroads, the original with uh, Ralph Macchio or however you say it. Look that up. Steve I was the guitarist and he was the uh the devil in the movie. And young and impressionable kid, Steve I leather pants and one a badass guitar player. Uh <laughs> that that was uh that was another one that was a really uh big influence to me yeah. so one of those two i guess absolutely yeah i'd say most people would probably say Jimi hendrix um you sure. know i would say that would probably be what most people say i think there's a strong argument for brian may just so many people that kind of uh reinvented the wheel right and i mean it goes all the way back to your chuck berry and mm -hmm. you know those I mean, there, there's just, there's so many, it, it, you're never going to make yeah, everybody you, happy with yeah, your answer. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. Who is the best front man of all time? Oh, dude. Uh, 
vocal wise, I would I would say Steve Perry with Journey. That's that okay. dude's got a set of pipes. Absolutely. Yeah. I've like Man, I like Freddie Mercury. Yeah. <laughs> He's just, awesome. He seemed like he had a way of just like touching his crowd. And of course in yeah. in, in as far as from a vocal standpoint, like you it's hard to argue with Michael Jackson or uh, Axel Rose. He took, the, um, he took the words out of yeah, my mouth. I, think I mean, Michael Jackson, you know, love him or leave him. There's, I don't, I think you'd be hard pressed to find anybody that was more oh of gosh. a performer. He man. had a relationship with, with his audience and somebody that loved what they did that, uh, yeah. Performer. Absolutely. I think I read a thing. I think as like, as far as like greatest vocal range, at least the article that I was reading, um, I don't remember when I came across that. I want to say the greatest vocal range demonstrated in studio. I think it was like Axl Rose and then maybe like Mariah Carey and Steven Tyler or something. Um, yeah. But as far as like all around performer, man, I don't know. I like yeah, the I, Michael Jackson. Those yeah. I, uh, I might, I might have to change my answer to, to Michael. I was just, uh, just an, an amazing performer from top to bottom, you know, as, as weird as he may be or whatever, you know, it, it was just, uh, it, it was all about the show. No doubt. No doubt. Um, Kurt Cobain or Chris Cornell? Uh, personally, Chris Cornell. I agree, man. I do. I think, I think Chris Cornell was like quite a lot more talented from like a technical yeah, standpoint, yeah. but it, Kurt Cobain like had a way to make, make you like feel what he was singing, yeah, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, I, obviously both, you know, wish they were around and, and, um, sure. you know, were able to see what might've been, but I mean, obviously they're sure. both just, uh, incredible artists that had such a great impact on that era, but I, I'm going to agree sure. with you, man. I'm going to give it to yeah. Chris Cornell. Um, Overall, who is your favorite musician? Oh man, new like new day musician. I'm I'm a John Mayer fan. Okay. Uh, I love watching what he did. You know, starting out with the the coffee shop pop to get his foot in the door, and then next thing you know, it's like oh, this son of a bitch can can wail on a guitar. <laughs> and uh, so I think that's one that that I find on repeat quite often on my playlist is John Mayer, but um, uh, I'd say another, uh, Lane Staley, maybe, you yeah. know, Staley or Allison change, yep. just, uh, kind of paved the way for a lot of things, yeah. in my opinion. Definitely. I like Dave Grohl, man. Yeah. He, yeah. uh, I like watching his shows man. on, like on YouTube. He seems so cool. Like with his fan, just so yeah. passionate. I've never, I've never been to a Foo Fighter show or anything, but I'd really like it. Neither dude, but I, I love the, I love watching the videos where he pulls the, pull somebody up on stage dude, you know, I, the coolest man when that humble, guy plays man, uh monkey wrench yeah, uh, yeah dude how cool is that i love james hetfield metallica too man yeah they're awesome oh yeah and last but not least as uh joe dirt would say van halen or van hagar Van Halen, not <laughs> Van Hagar. <laughs> I would agree. Sammy Hagar, man, he wasn't a, he wasn't a slouch, but but David That's Lee true. Roth, he uh, he kind of had that 
stage charisma that probably puts him over the top for me. But, but yeah, I think man. Sammy, he did he did right now. You know that song right now, and that was a banger. Yeah, that, yeah. That'd be a good one for listening to, setting up in the spread. You know, whenever it's That's right. negative wind chills and snow blowing at forty miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think we we had Z, little ZZ Top, Shark Dress, man. We had some Boston, man. We had a pretty good playlist going that morning. <laughs> that was a memorable. You never know day. what you're gonna hear, man. Yeah. That's right. All right, we're going to get back on track. Toby, I know that um, COVID slightly delayed the building of a new beautiful lodge. Um, I know you're really, really excited about it. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so uh, I think, once again, we talked about everything happened for a reason. Uh, We had the full plans done, paperwork done, and we're full speed ahead. Uh, And, man, I just I got, got cold feet, got nervous with the couple of states uh, stopping the sale of like out-of-state license uh-huh. for turkey season. I was like, dude, if we, if we go through another wave of this and I've got this big lodge and now a mortgage sure. payment and all this stuff and nobody to fill it, uh, that's that's going to be an issue. So push the pause button and uh, just spent several months looking at the plans and rethinking things. And uh, that led to me redesigning the whole damn thing. Uh, so. <laughs> We, uh, that's, that's where we're at right now. I've got, uh, got the new set of plans. Uh, we're still kind of tweaking us little things here and there, but, uh, it is definitely in the works and definitely coming. Uh, it will sleep, I believe, I think it will sleep 30, uh, 30 comfortably. Okay. Uh, so trying to do it, trying to do it right, man. We've, we've done everything else, the best of our abilities. Uh, so now we're gonna try to do the whole package, uh, lodging, meals, the the whole the whole nine. Awesome, man! I know you guys are are excited about that and just the the future of Cadillac Creek, and we're sure. we're excited for you, man. We're uh, I appreciate that. We're man. especially thrilled that you guys made the decision to start running dive on deep coys a couple years ago. So, can you talk about your experience? the last couple seasons running our product and you know it's just been it's been nice to go from having to have a 20-foot trailer with packed full of full bodies um and when i say packed full i mean you can pull up some of our old photos like you could not fit another decoy in there and we were running 35 40 dozen which at the time we thought damn that's that's a lot of decoys that's a big spread um and and it worked you know but uh frost that was that was a killer wind another killer uh and those are those are things that we dealt with more times than not uh and you know i was i was skeptical just like everybody you know we didn't we didn't jump into silhouettes just head first we started mixing them a little bit and then you know you may be running behind one day and like you know what shit but they did it fine over the silhouettes yesterday. Let's just, let's just see how they do it over silhouettes and there's no difference. And then you start doing it more and more and more. And then this magical day comes and you're like, okay, for, I can, you mean to tell me in a, in a six foot space in my trailer, I can fit a hundred something dozen decoys <laughs> be three times the size that I was yesterday. And birds are going to do the same thing. And I mean, it, it just, when it clicks, it clicks. That's all I can say. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we can set a huge spread in half the time, uh, way less guys. Um, and it, 
all I can say is we've killed a, uh, we've made a mess over silhouettes and, uh, <laughs> I don't, don't think there's any turning back, man. Yeah. I, th- I think you put it perfectly. Um, it just comes down to confidence for a lot of people. That's why I tell guys, I'm like, mm-hmm. Hey, if you're not sure, or you're not feeling that good about it, just start mixing them in. And then as yeah. you see that they do what we say that they're going to do, put a few more in tomorrow. Then you put a few more right. in tomorrow, put a few more in the next day and then a few more in the next day. And next thing you look up after a season or two seasons or however long you want to draw that out. It doesn't have to be one day after the next. I'm just saying that an example, yeah, sure. like, Hey, move a little bit in at a time. And I think a lot of guys have learned that, wow. Okay. Like this is, this is awesome. Like th- this is happening much quicker than I anticipated. You know, a lot of guys think, oh, well, we'll start small. We'll do this, that. And then next thing you know, guys do it once or twice and they like call me or send me a text. Like, all right, dude, I'm ready to, I'm ready. You know, I, I believe it in. now, you know, and yeah. some guys, the progression is a little longer, but I tell guys, I'm like, man, take your time. If you don't want to jump in and rush into it and run a full spread, you know, can you do that? And are you going to do it with success? Yes. But sure. you don't have to take my word for it. Experiment a little bit yourself, do some things. And, and like I've said a million times, I think full bodies are a great tool. I think they are very useful in a lot of situations. Uh, the biggest thing is they're just not practical for a lot of people. And then there's some guys that, I mean, when you're hunting in these fields that are two or three square miles, like, and you got your little, you know, five, ten dozen spread up there on the northern edge of the field, it's yeah. like sometimes you got to get big and you got to get wide and right. um, people have to do different things. You know, if you're hunting early season pocket of geese and there's, you know, 60 geese in your field. Okay. Go out there and set your two or three yeah. dozen full bodies. Like, but it's just for everybody. It's not practical to set a monster full body spread when it comes to a number of things as far as uh, first of all, financially. But then after that, you start looking at, storage and space and the amount of time sure. to set up how many hands do you have on board uh are you always going to be able to drive into these fields are you going to be walking stuff into the fields there's just a lot of a lot of factors that go into it so yeah uh, as you guys know this isn't me saying don't run full bodies or full body hater because i think everybody knows better than that it's just there's a lot right, of situations right. it's it uh, doesn't make sense for a lot yeah, of people and, and we're hunting you know, we're hunting these little geese and, and if you're hunting a, uh, if you're trying to mimic a 10,000 bird feed, you know, it's, it's hard to do that with 30 or 40 dozen full bodies. You feel like you've got a lot of decoys out there, but in the grand scheme of things, I mean, there's, there's no comparison to, you know, running 150 or 160 dozen silhouettes. I mean, you just, you're not going to get as big unless you're pulling two or three trailers out there and, and which we've done, you know, I mean, Late season, before we started running silhouettes, man. I mean, we'd have we'd have two trailers out there stacked full of full bodies, yeah. and you know you got to have all hands on deck. All of your clients are out there. You're trying to be in six places at one time, trying to tell people this way, not that way. Right. And you know, silhouettes, man. I mean, it's as simple as carry, get one guy to set you a set you a shape, or you know, have a, a thirty second conversation. All right, sure. guys, this is how much space you need between them start sticking and stabbing and you're good. Definitely. Well, I'll tell you what, you guys are at the top of your game and uh, I know your success, as I said before, has grabbed the attention of waterfowl hunters all over the country. And I'm glad that we can be a small part of your, 
you know, the success you guys are experiencing. And uh, I, I have no that, doubt, um, you know, with the positive attitude and work ethic of your crew, it's just going to keep getting better and better. So um, you guys are, you guys are rock and rolling. Now I have a couple more questions for you, Toby, before we wrap this thing up, we've been, I don't know, 46 or so minutes deep. Um, I want to know your least favorite thing about running a waterfowl outfitter and your favorite thing about it. Uh, man, I think my, I'll go with my favorite thing. Uh, for me, it's the meeting, meeting so many different people. Uh, we run a ton of clients and, and just meeting people from all over the, all over the States or really all over the world. I mean, we've had bunch of international folks and that, that that to me is really cool to be able to wake up every day and have a have a different crew out there and all love the same thing mm-hmm. uh my least favorite part i honestly man i would think probably just the the haters you know like yeah. it sucks to have a a sport and you know something that we grew up being thinking that this is some heritage holding sport you know where you're gonna have all this all these old schoolers you know holding things like you know holding people accountable and doing things the right, right way right. then you know now you're in a world where every move you make is is judged by somebody and it's a damned if you do damned if you don't situation you know our, our biggest tool is social media uh but it's it's at the fingertips of everyone you know anything that anything that you do can be taken the wrong way. Uh, no matter what, what you had in mind, somebody's going to tear it apart. And I don't know, man, I, th- I think just dealing with, dealing with the haters and the bullshit that there, there needs to not be any of it, that it, it gets freaking old. Absolutely. Understand that, man. Toby, is there anything else you want to add, man? Uh, man, I think, uh, think we pretty well covered everything stay humble shoot straight and uh and dream big and uh follow follow the follow your dreams and let the good lord uh show you where you need to get go man i i genuinely have said over and over and over that this thing has uh been a god thing and i i believe that wholeheartedly man i i genuinely do absolutely you know Playing baseball on my glove. I hope I don't butcher this. It just popped in my head while uh, you were talking. And I believe it's Proverbs 16.9. And I had this stitched on all my gloves. In our hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. And I always went back to that because when I was coming up through the minor leagues or whatever I was doing, I always wanted to be in control of everything I had going on. I had a plan in my mind for the way I thought things needed to go. And then whenever they um, got off track or things were not lining up with the way I thought they were supposed to happen, you know, it would make me a little, you know, feel uneasy or feel anxious. And I kind of use that to just latch onto. And it's funny how you look back during times in your life when you thought things were falling apart when they were actually falling into place. Um, you know, I can think man. back on significant injuries and, and, you know, times when I thought I was in striking distance to make a, the next big move in my career and 
boom, labrum surgery, you know, 22 months, boom, right knee, boom, broken left finger at the end of the season before promotion. And then I start looking back on all these things that happened in my life and then even getting away from baseball, just in life in general with, you know, my wife, my kids and my career and seeing the way everything fell together. Um, And I always kind of latched on to that verse and you know after i get off here i'm gonna have to go look and make sure it is proverbs 69 (laughs) and make sure that i've got pretty close but i'm i'm 98 (laughs) percent sure that that's it and uh that kind of just made me think about your story and the way things came together for you that ultimately led to cadillac creek outfitters and the success that you guys are seeing it sounds like things probably didn't fall into place the way that you had planned in your mind. But when you look back on it, uh, it sounds and looks at least from my chair that everything fell into place perfectly. So um, that's 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 pretty cool. That's the truth, man. It, uh, God, God's got to, God's got the plan and, uh, you just kind of got to roll with it and be obedient, you know, like, right. That's right. I saw a little uh, Sunday school one time, there was this little poster and it said my plan and it showed this little kind of stick figure thing. And it just kind of had this upward ascent. If you could picture uh, if you were just kind of consistently going uphill with no objects or obstacles and you basically got from point A to point Z and it's just a steady line going up. Mm -hmm. And then there was another one and it said like, I don't know, maybe something like God's path. And it showed like, the little guy going uphill and then he like falls in water and then he like goes down in a ditch and then he goes up a little bit. Then he flatlines and he goes back down again. Well, at the end of it, he still ends up at point Z, but it was kind of the journey that, yeah, he's got a story. uh, That's right. That's right. So with all that said, um, you know, I'm thrilled to death to work with you, not only through dive bomb industries, but to also be friends of ours. You know, I uh, appreciate y'all's friendship and the guys at Cadillac Creek. And, um, I know you have a very, very busy schedule. So I thank you a ton for joining me today. Uh, it was great catching up in the field a couple of weeks ago. I always enjoy our time out there hanging with you guys and, uh, you keep rocking and rolling, man. And I will talk to you soon, buddy. You know, I appreciate the time and everything you guys do for us. And uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully we see you soon back in the spread or uh, at a coffee shop, wherever, it, wherever it may be, man. Always good times. All so right, Toby. Thank you guys for everything, man. I'll talk right, to you God soon, bless. man. Have a, have a good rest of the season, man. Take care. Okay, man. Bye. Bye. All right. That's a wrap. Toby Brolin and the boys, they may do things outside the box, but there is no doubt They are passionate about what they do with one goal in mind, and that is to provide their clients with the experience of a lifetime, and they are dang good at doing that. Thank you all for listening and being a part of this crazy journey known as the year 2020. Big things coming from Dive Bomb Ministries in 2021, so you guys be sure to stay tuned. Until next year, y'all be good. Thank you for listening to the Dive Bomb Squadcast. Thank you.